now want to give the title of this conversation. The title of this conversation is The Pillars of God. The Pillars of God. The Pillars of God's Temple. The Pillars of God's Temple. And I'm going to center our conversation on the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 12, and then get an in-depth study and look into it and reveal a few things that the Lord has already dispensed in the book of Revelation, awaiting the entry into heaven. Now, Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. And he says, Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, and he says, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. So I want to pull out this particular aspect of uh, the conversation that the Lord was having with the overcomers. And then you see now that in this particular part here that I've pulled out now, he promises a few things. A few things are promised here, deliberate things, specific things. He says, again, in verse 12, he promises them that he will make a pillar and he promises them write the name of his God on them and the name of the city of Jerusalem, the new city of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And he promises to write his new name there, his hidden name, in fact, a secret name. And if I read in the book of then Revelation 3, verse 12, and I'm reading now Amplified, he says, him that overcometh, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. So that is amazing, beloved people. So right away there, before we touch on anything else, he's telling us that there are certain things about Christ the Messiah that this generation is not even aware of. I have said that for the many times the Lord God Almighty has taken me into heaven, into his glorious kingdom to give me instruction on this mission of preparing the church. I have said this so much that I have seen in heaven 
that he has not even allowed me to share. There is so much about heaven, about the throne, about uh, the creatures around the throne, about the 24th throne, about the personalities. There's so much. There's so much there that the glory that he has not allowed me to share. So one of the big things that you really bring home in this initial stage of this conversation is that when the church that enters heaven will enter heaven, there are certain things that will shock you very, very much about the Lord and about heaven. There are certain things that will shock you unbelievable. I shared one time uh, when I gave the prophecy of the release of the black horse, when I said one of the creatures came from the throne from where the Father, God the Father and the Lamb are seated, and that creature, when he came, is like an ox. But his face is man. And super glorious and absolutely glorious, glorious, I can't describe the detail, and big face. So I'm just saying that there are certain things that will really shock you when you get to heaven that you had not known. And one of them, he says, is that Christ the Messiah... In Revelation 3.12, Christ the Messiah has another name, a hidden name that when you come to heaven, only then will you know. Some of you will be so shocked, it will have to redefine redemption. You will even wonder, who then was this that came down to redeem us? Some of you, will, when the reality hits you, you will, I think the entire church, they will fall down and begin to weep forever, you know? Because then you realize that the Messiah has another name. And this is not the topic of the discussion today, because we're going to talk about the pillars. But I'm just touching the periphery around this conversation, because if you see the book of Revelation 19, he underscores the same thing, verse 12. Revelation 19, verse 12. He underscores the same very thing when he says, His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but only he himself. So you will find that the Messiah has another name in heaven. So that will shock you quite a bit. Very much. And you remember when God the Father came to talk to me about the rapture of the church? And he said, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of life. So again, that is also amazing. Because then you understand that, wow, heaven refers to the day of the rapture, the day of the coming of the Messiah, the day of the gathering of the saints, the day of the taking of the overcomers. He regards that day. Heaven refers to that day, calls that day the day of life. He said, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of life. He calls it Melchizedek's day, the day of life. So this is the same thing he's underscoring here, that there is so much secret of heaven. I know only what he has shown me, but there is so much in heaven. I know so much that he has not allowed me to share. But you can imagine the day the church enters heaven and she's like, wow, this is heaven. I did not know this. Then why did we waste time on the earth and become deluded and confused and lied to by the enemy? When there is so much here like this that you cannot even compare. 
one trillionth of this to anything on the earth. And so this is just part of the beginning of this conversation where he mentioned the new name. But I want to talk about the pillars tonight. The pillars. Because God says, I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar. God wants to make a pillar. When he meets the overcomer, now you hear the Lord saying, I will make a pillar. Now God wants to make a pillar. He wants to make a pillar. That is where I want to center our conversation today. He now wants to make a pillar. He says, I will now make a pillar. I will make a pillar. To he who overcomes, I will make a pillar. God now says, I will make a pillar. He wants to make a pillar. He wants to make a pillar in heaven, a pillar in his temple. And we know too well that pillars are support systems. Pillars are very powerful. They support the building. So this goes a long way to begin now to lay gravity and weight on this group of people called the overcomers. That when he sees them like this, when he encounters them, then he says, okay, now I will make a pillar. He just wants to make a pillar now. Nothing less. I will make a pillar in the temple. Hmm? I will make a pillar. God wants to make a pillar. Let me first join the two, the overcoming and the making of a pillar together, by making reference to some events that take place on the earth here, to bring it home to perspective, to bring it into context that you may begin to develop your own personal narratives and envisaging of this, this special class called overcomers. He treasures them so much that when he meets them, he encounters them, he says, now I will make a pillar, nothing less. Isn't that so astounding, beloved people? But to bring the point to perspective here, right on the earth here, you know that when buildings are constructed, pillars are built. Pillars have to be built. And they really dig down to the core. You would have to dig down to the core and meet a stone, a rock, whatever it is. That's when you raise your pillar from that point on. And I'm saying that to he that overcome, and you see, let's take a building on the earth here, and then a tsunami comes. A storm comes, an earthquake comes, a hurricane comes. And when those phenomena, those disaster phenomena come, a tsunami, a hurricane, a storm, an earthquake, a tornado, whatever it is, a tablore, a big quake, a big hurricane, whatever it is. When those phenomena come and strike a place, The quality of the pillar is put to test. Because you find that only strong pillars remain standing. Even though the buildings and the roofs are swept away, but only strong pillars remain standing. They that overcome, I will make a pillar. Aye. That is very powerful. 
when the tsunami comes, and they that will overcome remain standing on this earth in their faith, I will make a pillar. Now God wants to make a pillar. God Almighty Jehovah Yahweh, tonight he says, I, want, I will make a pillar. He now wants to make a pillar. And he says, only strong pillars always remain standing after a storm. And that is what goes a long way to prove their quality, the quality of the pillar, the material that was used to build the pillar, and how deep the pillar had gone down and launched on the rock. He now says, I will make a pillar when he meets the overcomers. In other words, he's saying, when the rage, when the raging storm of apostasy comes and really sweeps across the spiritual landscape, when the raging storm of an earthquake, a hurricane, a major hurricane, a major tsunami, a major quake comes and sweeps through the spiritual landscape and everything is torn down and those that remain standing, he says, now I will make a pillar. Those that overcome. Those that overcome apostasy. Those that overcome the moral decay that's raging and sweeping everybody down. When he meets them, then he says, now that's all right. Now I want to make a pillar. Now I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar for the temple of God in heaven. Isn't that amazing, beloved people? Oh, I've said so much right there. He's saying that those that overcome the apostasy of this time, the sinfulness of this world, the moral decay of this world, the immorality that is rife, that has swept and put down almost every single church, that has really wobbled the pulpit. He says that when he meets those that after that storm of apostasy has raged on and everybody's down, those that remain standing, those that overcome and remain standing, when he sees them, he says, now I will make a pillar. Now we hear the Lord say, I will make a pillar for the temple in heaven. How awesome to be an overcomer. God now wants to make a pillar. A pillar in the temple of God in heaven. Meaning, based on what they did on the earth, based on how they executed their lives on the earth, when he sees that they are now overcomers, zealous and steadfast, and they have overcome the enemy and the world, and they remain standing, then he says, now I will make a pillar. Now God wants to make a pillar. Meaning they are unshakable. They are the support systems of the faith, of the church. They are the post. They remain standing upright. And if you ask me to define what a pillar is, what that pillar would be, a pillar is a strong column made of metal for supporting a building. So you can imagine what these overcomers do in the house of the Lord. Praise. 
says, by definition, a pillar is a strong column made of metal for supporting a building. So you can imagine the overcomers, what they are, to the house. It says, a strong vertical column made of strong metal that supports the building, either alone or in contact with other pillars. So you can imagine what the overcomers are in the house of the Lord. And he says, a pillar can also be a standalone decoration or an ornamental pillar that adds value and beauty to the building. Hey, look at that, beloved people, a pillar. In other words, the pillar, based on just those three definitions I've laid before you on a pillar, God wants to make a pillar, but I want us to dig deep and understand how is he going to make this pillar? Who are these people he's going to use that when he meets them, he says right away the fact that I've encountered these people, the overcomers, now I want to make a pillar. God now wants to make a pillar in heaven using them. Who are these people then? And I'm going a long way in defining all this for you. And you see that a strong column made of metal for supporting the house. Oh. <laughs> a strong vertical column made of strong metal, remember the word strong is being emphasized, that supports a building either alone or in synergy with other pillars. We have one pillar at this corner, another corner, another corner, another corner, and then they support it, support the roof. And he says, the pillars are the ones that also bring beauty to the house. So they can be a standalone pillar for decoration in the house or an ornamental pillar, and they add value and beauty to the building. That when you look and say, wow, what a beautiful pillar that has been raised to give beauty here. How powerful, beloved people. In other words, to summarize all that, he says a pillar is staunch, staunch, staunch Christian. The overcomers that he sees when he meets them and he right away sees the raw material for a pillar. He says this person is material for a pillar in the kingdom of God, in the temple of God in heaven, nothing less. They are staunch believers, believers that remain standing. They are the loyal believers, just like pillars are in a house. Pillars are loyal to the house. They never give way. They remain standing even in the height of storm. So he says, these Christians, the believers that the Father, when he meets, after they have survived the storm, the current ongoing storm of apostasy, and they remain standing, he says, they are staunch Christians. They are loyal. They are trustworthy. They are committed Christians. They are devoted Christians. They are dedicated Christians. They are dependable Christians that the house can depend on no matter the storm. They are reliable Christians. They are steady Christians. They are constant. 
wavering Christians, they are unswerving Christians, they are unhesitant Christians, they are unfaltering Christians, and you can go on and on and on and on with your list on this special class of Christians. How powerful, beloved people. And because I went through at high speed, let me repeat this, because I know a lot of people globally are making notes. These believers, that when the Father meets them, having survived the raging storm of apostasy, you come and you find them still standing. He says, they are staunch Christians, they are loyal Christians, trustworthy Christians, committed Christians, devoted Christians, devout Christians, dedicated Christians, dependable Christians, reliable believers, steadfast Christians, constant believers, constant Christians, steadfast Christians, steady Christians, stable Christians, resolute Christians, unwavering Christians, unswerving Christians, unhesitating Christians, unhesitant, they are unfaltering. How powerful, beloved people. Now we are beginning to understand the character and nature of the people called overcomers, based on how the Father addresses himself to them. This is very powerful. Based on how the Father addresses himself to them. Now you can tell. And when he meets them, in meeting them to be of that character, he says right away, God says, I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar. Will I make a pillar, he says. I will make a pillar. Please. And so let us walk step by step, beloved people, as we open up this conversation for you, that you may, may get a greater in-depth into these Christians, the overcomers, just based on one aspect. That when God sees them, he says, I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar. Let me just give a little example before I go further, before I push it to the next realm. In the book of Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. Again, the book of Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. This is what he says. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. I need to skip there. This is what he says. He says, chapter 2, verse 9. And he goes on to say, what I find it already says. So those who are are blessed along again that's for chapter 3 please chapter 2 verse 9 talks about these pillars verse 9 says, it says James, Peter and John those reputed to be pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace upon me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles 
while they to the Jews. So that's a very powerful shootout. That's a very powerful section I pulled out, the pullout, where he is also describing the pillars in a certain way. He's saying that Peter, James, Peter, and John, those who are reputed to be pillars in the house. How powerful. King James says, and when James, again he says, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand to fellowship, right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So very powerful. Again, a pull out on these overcomers when God addresses himself to them that upon just encountering, looking at them like this, he says, I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar. And so, this is very powerful. Because you see that it takes on a dimension that there are really pillars in the house. They support the house. But wait a minute. The Bible talks about pillars. And I want to begin to explore this so that we may be able to understand how is the Lord planning to build the pillar? He is planning to build his pillars now. When he meets this overcomer, now he wants to build a pillar. How is God planning to build this pillar? I want to walk you stepwise in the Bible, there are pillars, so that you may, the purpose of this is that you may be able to see the unveiling and the unfolding revelation about the overcomers. And the secrets of the eternity that God the Father, God Almighty, and His Christ and the Holy Spirit have prepared for the overcomers in the eternal kingdom of heaven. How powerful, beloved people. So the Bible talks about pillars. Let us first pursue that so that we may develop a bearing, a perspective into why God wants to build a pillar with them. So what material are they then? Who are these people called the overcomers? So turn with me to the book of Genesis 28. Genesis 28, beloved people, verse 18. The book of Genesis 28, verse 18. The book of Genesis chapter 28, verse 18. God wants to build a pillar. Let's see in the Bible how pillars are built. And get a deeper insight into these overcomers that make up the building material, that build pillars. They build pillars in heaven. They make up the building material in heaven. God wants to build a pillar with them. Who are they? Genesis 28, verse 18, he says the following. He says, Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone. Okay, let me pull it back a little bit so you may have perspective here. 
When Jacob woke up again, let's pull it from verse, uh, we can start from verse 10. We have time. Let's read the Bible. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haram. Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with his top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. He said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Verse 14. Your descendants will be expected out of the earth, and you spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done that what I have promised you. And then he says, verse 15, When Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this? This is none other than the house of the Lord. This is the gate to heaven. The gate of heaven. Verse 18. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and set up, set it up as a pillar and poured oil on it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called this, place Bethel, the house of God. This is very powerful. Abai Sheli, my home. Bethel. Hmm? The home of El. God. So you are seeing here the Lord beginning stepwise. He says, when he was the overcomers, he says, this is too good. I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar here. On this one, I will make a pillar. And we see that Jacob sets up the pillar because of the visitation. He meets this place and he meets this favor here. And then 
y set up a pillar as a memorial, a memory, a memory. He says, this is too good. I have to make a memorial with this. And so it is when God the Father comes down here and finds that despite the raging storm, the storm of apostasy in the church, the storm of apostasy in the whole world, the storm of the moral decay, immorality, you see globally. When he meets the storm, when he meets those that have gone through the storm, storm of Satan and they remain standing. The storm of the lies of this hour, the deception of this hour, the moral decay, the immorality, the false prophecies, false apostles, the falsehood, the liars, the lies, the rot in the church, and after all of the above storms are passed, and it comes and he and finds them standing, still first, still standing. He says, this is too good. I have to make a pillar. I will make a pillar here. Why? Because I want there to be a memorial here, a memory here. I want to remember this. This is so awesome. I must make a pillar here now. Hey. Are you beginning to understand the people that are called overcomers? That when the Lord meets them after the storms of sin and wickedness that is sweeping the earth right now, when the Lord meets them and they still remain standing up, everybody's down. Everybody has bought into false apostles. They are bought into false prophets. When you meet them, the first thing I want to introduce you to this apostle. They are bought into that. They are sold in. They are sold into this. They are bought into it. And then he finds one who is still standing. He says, this is too awesome. I will make a pillar. I will make a memorial here. I have to remember this. This has to be a lasting memory, this one. Hey. And he poured oil on the capital of the pillar. That means the roof. The top of the pillar is called the capital. He poured oil on it to consecrate it, to decree that this is holy. Hey. I will make a pillar. When God sees the overcomers, when the tsunamis of apostasy are passed, the tsunamis of moral decay, the falling away from true faith has come. When he meets them, he says, this is too strong, this is too good, I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar. I have to make a pillar here. I have to make a memorial here. There has to be a memory here. This is too awesome. I can't live this. This can't pass like this. You now begin to understand who the overcomers are. Powerful people. And he says, when you look at Genesis 12, verses 6 to 8, Abraham had been here. Somehow, Abraham had been in the same area. But Jacob comes and does this. But let's go to Genesis 31, 44 to 45, another pillar. 
Genesis 31, 44 to 45. So when you go into the Bible and you begin to look at how the pillars used to be constructed in the days of old, and those pillars in the days of old, the value, the value they stood for, what they delivered. Then you begin to understand why the Lord addresses himself to the overcomers in these terms of, I will make a pillar. When he needs to say, on this one, I will make a pillar. Now the question then becomes to the church of Christ. When God Almighty Jehovah Yahweh looks at you, do you think he says, does he say when he looks at you, is he able to say, this is too awesome, I will make a pillar? Does he call for the making of a pillar, a memorial, when he encounters as a Christian, beloved people? Isn't that the $64 million question? That when the Lord looks at you as a Christian, a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse, a teacher, just a housewife, a widow, an orphan, just a worker, a field worker, a chamber boy, a house technician, electrician, police officer, banker, president, prime minister, member of parliament, politicians, whatever the case be, when God looks at you, is God able to say, I will make a pillar. This is too awesome. I have to make a pillar. I will make a memorial here. I must. When God looks at the present-day church of this generation, is he able to say, this is too awesome. I will make a pillar here. I must. So when you go through the Bible and understand the narrative and the symbolism and the value that the pillars that were constructed delivered, then you are now able to bring home to understand better why the Lord Yahweh addresses himself this way when he meets the overcomer. He says, I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar. On this one, I have to make a I must make a pillar. I will make a pillar. Genesis 31, 44 to 45. And he says, in 44, Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve us as a witness between us. And he goes on to say, So Jacob took a stone and set up a pillar. So in this conversation, Jacob is having with Laban, the whole narrative there, but I've taken only the scripture. He says, on this matter we have discussed, come let us make a covenant. And then, the symbol and the memorial for that lasting covenant is a pillar. Oh, yes, yes. A pillar. He says, the pillar also stands not only for the memorial, but a covenant, a lasting covenant between two parties. 
that when I will meet an overcomer, praise the Lord, I will make a deal. On this one, I will make a deal. On this one, I have to set up a lasting covenant. A lasting monument. In other words, he lays the pillar now as a monument of that covenant of God's favor. Hey. He lay there, he took a stone and placed under his head and slept. And then heaven opened, he saw the ladder of Jacob, and then he saw angels ascending and descending from heaven and back and forth like this. And up there was standing the Lord himself, and the Lord by his voice spoke with him. The same God that spoke with me today here by his voice a few hours ago, the same God. And when the Lord spoke with him, he said, on this one, I have to raise a pillar. I will make a pillar. I will raise a memorial to remember this as a memory. I have to build a monument here that God has favor with me, of God's favor with me. This is too awesome. I have to raise a pillar. So the pillar is also a symbol of covenant. It's a monument of favor. God comes to the earth and he finds the overcomers have stood. The storms have come. Everybody has gone down. They have remained standing. Then he says, I have favor here. These people have treated me favorably. They have treated my mission on the earth to vanquish sin, to destroy sin. My agenda on the earth they have treated me with favor. They have treated me well. They have considered me in their dealings, and they have remained standing. On this one, I have to raise a memorial. I must build a pillar. I will make a pillar. To remember it forever and ever. Never to forget these people again. Oh, that is very powerful, beloved people. And I am reading the book of Genesis 26, verse 28. We are still gravitating around the same book of Genesis, just oscillating back and forth. When you move backwards a little bit, you get now, you move back a little bit, you get, uh, you get uh, Genesis 26, verse 28. Look what it says, 26, 28. It says, They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn argument between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do to us no harm, just as we do not, we do not molest you, but always treat you well. And sent you away in peace. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Why do I read this? I'm saying that at times when you raise a pillar, pillars are raised, I say it as a memorial, a memory, and consecrated as you saw, you poured oil on it, meaning a holy memorial. And a lasting monument, I say it, 
of God's favor, these people treated God favorably, so God is treating them favorably by raising a pillar. I will make a pillar, he says. Of God's favor. And I said, as a covenant. And now here, having read Genesis 26, 28, pillars are constructed also as a witness between two parties, a witness. That this pillar now will be the witness between I and you. That Jehovah, the faithful one, the ultimate authority, when he found that the storm of sin and wickedness and decay and apostasy and had swept through the entire landscape of the world, and some Christian believers were still standing, holding on to the mission of God on the earth like this. Holy and righteous to God. Righteous to the Lord. And holy unto him. Then he says, I will make a pillar here as a witness between the poor. That you've been good to me. And now I am being good to you. I have to be good to you. And the two of us are now good to one another. We are friends forever. I, in the Father's house, never to leave it again. Genesis 24, verse 5, I finish with this first segment, beloved people. Genesis 24, verse 4, he says, Genesis 24, verse 4, but you will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. That's a bit out of the curve. I don't want to bring it in now, a bit later. So very powerful, beloved people. What have we seen until now? We have seen the following. We have seen that when the Lord comes to the earth, And he's very much aware that there is a raging storm of apostasy on the earth today. Everybody is caught up in it. Even the house of the Lord. Then the Lord looks around for those who have remained standing unshakable. And owing to their loyalty and trustworthy and commitment, and devotion, and dedication, and dependability, and reliability, and steadiness, and constancy, and steadfastness, and stableness, and resoluteness, and waveringness, and swervingness, and hesitantness, and falteringness, owing to their unshakability, he looks around and when he finds them standing, unshakable, then he decides that he is going to make a pillar as a memorial of their good work, how they have considered God in their lives, how they prioritized him and they really considered him. They were so considerate of him. They treated God with favor. So he too now will build a memorial to remember this goodness they've been to him. He'll pour oil on to consecrate it. And he'll build a lasting monument 
to present the relationship between the two, to also stand for God's favor on them as overcomers, and it will be particular as a lasting covenant with them, never to break it into eternity of the eternities. And that pillar also becomes the witness between the two. They themselves now, the pillar, and the witness between them and the ultimate power, Jehovah Elohim, and the Lamb and the Holy Spirit. And he says, the entire lesson we learned there is that whenever the Lord shows concessions of mercy and favor unto men, then we must always be called to return to duty, to help in accomplishing his mission on the earth. That's why you see the stone is laid now, the pillar is laid, the temple is laid. For Jacob, he built a temple there. He became Bethel, the house of the Lord. And for us now, the temple is built. We are called to duty, to worship. And the sacrifice will be offered there. How powerful the other people. That now, looking at how pillars were being constructed in the Bible, we are able to understand deeper this transaction between Jehovah Elohim and these special people, special believers, special Christians called overcomers. That when he meets them and he says, wow, I have met you. This is how much you stood. Wow, you're unshakable. Wow, you considered me so much. This is how much you have been considered to me. Why do you live your life in the decaying earth? Then I will consider you to now, I will make a pillar. I must make a pillar. On this one, I must make a pillar. I will make a pillar on this one. When the Lord looks at you from his throne room in heaven, when the Creator looks at you, beloved people, does he see an unshakable Christian? the one that can form the support system of the earth. Does he see a staunch Christian, a loyal Christian, trustworthy, committed Christian, devout Christian, devoted, dedicated Christian, dependable Christian, reliable Christian, steady Christian, constant Christian, steadfast Christian, stable Christian, resolute Christian, unwavering Christian, unswerving Christian, unhesitant Christian, unfaltering Christian, a faithful Christian. Does he see one? And he says, those Christians are the strong columns. They are strong metal columns for supporting the house. They are strong vertical columns made of strong metal that support the house of the Lord, either alone or in concert with other pillars. And sometimes he says they can stand alone and stand alone pillars for decorative purposes, for ornamental decoration, to post beauty to broadcast beauty, to publish beauty, the beauty of the house of the Lord, to broadcast the beauty of the house of the Lord. And so to enter deeper into our conversation, beloved people, I want us to venture into this conversation by looking at Hiram's beauty. Hiram is spelled H-I-R-A-M, beauty, Hiram's beauty. Because he said, I will make a pillar. I will make a pillar in the temple of God. 
So I want to look at some pillars that were made, have nowhere to turn to except look at someone's temple. The temple that was built as an archetype. Built like showed Moses. Built like this one down there. The framework, the entire construct, the formation, was that which was shown him in heaven. So the title of this segment is Hiram's Beauty and in Solomon's Temple. The next underneath title can be Solomon's Temple. And then the last title, which is our call for today, the calling for this night, is called The Pillars. The Pillars. We have nowhere to turn to except to look at how the pillars of the house of the Lord that were built by Solomon, how they were instructed by Jehovah the place of his worship. So we can develop an understanding so you can have a little contextual value, a little perspective on how the pillar in heaven will look like. The pillars in heaven will look like. So beloved people, the first scripture there we are going to turn to to open up this powerful, mighty segment is the book of First Kings chapter 17. And I'm reading from verse 13 to 22, as much as I am enabled, as much as we will need in this conversation. First Kings chapter 7, verses 13 to 22. Building the pillars, and the title there is Hiram's Beauty. Building the pillars in the temple of God. And he wants to build pillars like this in the temple in heaven. So can we look at this one that was built here under his instruction? and develop some extrapolation so we can do a trajectory and see how the other pillars might look like. For those of you that really long to enter heaven as overcomers, the question is, when the storms are raging, have you stood? Have you stood? So Hiram's beauty, the pillars of Solomon's temple, that is First Kings chapter 7, verses 13 to 22. He says, King Solomon sent to Tyre, and brought Huram, whose mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, and whose father was a man of Tyre and a craftsman in bronze. So let me explain that a little bit. This widow was actually not from Naphtali. This widow was a Danian. She was raised in the city of Dan. That is in the northern kingdom, in the northern kingdom of Israel. But she got married to a Hebrew man from the tribe of Naphtali. So it was counted upon her that she belonged to Naphtali. That's why you see here, she's assigned to Naphtali. The mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali. And he says here, father was a man from Tyre and a craftsman. So let me explain this a little better. So this widow, this woman, this woman was from Dan. She was raised from the tribe of Dan. She belongs to the Danian. And that is the northern kingdom in Israel. And she got married to a Hebrew man from the tribe of Naphtali. And when her husband died, then she was redeemed 
by a Tyranian, by a man from Tyre. And so, when she remarried this man upon the death of her husband, who was from Naphtali, but because she was married from Dan to Naphtali, she was assigned to the tribe of Naphtali. So she's considered as a Naphtalian from Naphtali, the tribe of Naphtali. And so when she was getting now to these Tyrians from Tyre, these are not Hebrew tribes. Then now they considered her as an Aftali woman that was married to a Tyrian, to a man from Tyre. Remember the cities of Tyre and Sidon, the atheist cities, the Gentile cities. And when she married that man, then they gave birth to Hiram. Sometimes they call him Uran, Uram, but his name is Hiram. Uram was highly skilled and experienced in all kinds of bronze work. He came to King Solomon and did all the work assigned him. This is a very amazing conversation the Lord is having with the church. Because let me extrapolate it a little bit more for you. Let me begin with King David, the father to King Solomon. So King David, David wanted to build a temple for the Lord, the house of worship, where to put the ark of God. And the Lord refused him by saying, your hands have a lot of blood. Your hands are tainted with so much blood. You cannot. And so when David began to gather these things, he gathered so many hundreds of thousands of talents of gold and bronze and all that for the temple for whosoever the Lord will permit to build will have the materials ready. That we know David did. But when David was building his own house, his own palace, and King David is very big in Israel, that's why the top hotel where presidents stay in Israel is called King David Hotel. Magen David Adom, that is the ambulance. King David is very big in Israel. So when King David wanted to build, when he was building his own palace, he sent a message to one of the kings in down there, those areas of Lebanon. And he asked for wood. He asked for many things. He asked for wood. He asked for cedar, special wood. He asked for special things that were required to build his, his palace. And that king supplied him with a lot of the cedar wood and all those things he needed, and he built a palace. Now, when the time came for the authorized one, King Solomon, to build the temple of the Lord, it's amazing because he sent out a message. He sent a message to the king of Tyre. He sent a message to the king of Tyre asking him to send him some materials and some skilled men 
skilled men. Men that can build the, the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And if you listen to the narrative, it's amazing, because these were mainly atheists and idol worshippers, and they were worshipping other things. Sometimes they offered human sacrifices. And when they did this, it is amazing that sometimes when they did this, this kind of sacrificing, when they did all this, caught up and totally engrossed into their human sacrifice, atheist worship, idol worship. Then King Solomon, who is mandated to build the temple of the Lord, he has the mandate, he has been allowed by the Lord, then he sends a message to the king of Cairo. And he says, I want to build the house of the Lord. And as you are aware, the house of the Lord my God must be built in a very powerful way by skilled men. And it must be a great house because the Lord my God is the greatest God above all the gods. That's the letter he wrote. Therefore, I want you to send me some skilled person who will do the following work. And he was essentially rubbishing their gods and talking about the greatness of Jehovah in the face of this begging, this supplication. That to me was very powerful. That he exalted the name of Jehovah. And so, when it was now time to build the house of the Lord, and there was need to build the most important part of the house, the pillars. This is the letter he wrote. In fact, in other versions they say, King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram out of Tyre. By the leading of the Spirit of the Lord, God made him know that there is somebody down there he had downloaded upon him the spirit of the Lord and the spirit of knowledge and wisdom and craftiness and all this to be able to work on bronze, on metals like iron, bronze, and gold that would be needed to construct the pillars in the temple of God because the pillars would have to stand out as the most beautiful and the most powerful part of the temple of the Lord. Now you can understand for yourself what the overcomers represent in the house of the Lord when he sees them, how steadfast, how dedicated, how zealous and committed and unshakable, unwavering, unserving they are. Then he says, I will build a temple. Then you imagine for yourself what component, what part of the temple of God in heaven the overcomers are, what they become. How awesome, beloved people. This is the narrative behind the first Kings chapter 7, 13 to 22 I'm reading for you. Someone has been blessed by the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and given the particular skills to build the pillars of the temple of God. So they built all the other things, 
But when it came to the pillars, King Solomon sent for a skilled person that God had prepared. King Solomon sent to Tyre and brought Huram, whose mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali. Now I've made you understand she was a Danian woman, a Danian woman that got married to Naphtali. She was married from Naphtali to Tyre. And whose father was a man of Tyre, a craftsman in bronze. Hiram was highly, now look at the person he brings. That king sent him this person. Hiram was highly skilled and experienced in all kinds of bronze work. And he came to King Solomon and did everything, all the work assigned him. He cast two bronze pillars, each 18 cubits high and 12 cubits round by nine. He also made two capitals, the capitals I told you, those are the top of the decoration on top of the pillars. He also made two capitals of cast bronze to set on the top of the pillars. Each capital was five cubits high. Let me stop there for a moment and read other version. This is powerful. That when you want the pillar in the temple of God, it is not just anybody that can build it. That is just how treasured and how special and how spectacular the pillars in the house of the Lord are. That is what overcomers are in the house of the Lord in heaven, in the temple of God in heaven. I, this is very powerful. This is a serious message to the church, a serious indictment to the body of Christ globally, that in your Christian salvation, tell me one thing, are you an overcomer? Are you an overcomer? Have you overcome? Are you an overcomer? Have you overcome the world? Have you overcome Satan? Have you overcome evil? Have you overcome sin? When the storms of apostasy are raging, the storms of immorality and moral decay on TV, on newspaper, on phones, on everything. It's just immorality, morality, and sexual sin. When all that is raging in the house of the Lord at the pulpit, the false apostles are raging, the false prophets are raging, and they are wielding dominion. Sometimes you almost feel you can submit to them. Have you stood? Have you remained standing while everybody fell to them? Have you remained standing? Have you remained standing? That when the Lord looks at you and says, on this one, this is too awesome, I will build a pillar. I must build a pillar. Now you are beginning to understand the pillar I am talking about. The tremendous pillar. They had to find someone outside. He was not there. And Hiram was well placed. Hiram was touched by the Holy Spirit, prepared by the Spirit of the Lord. In the same way you are going to see, Bezalel was prepared. We are going to get there. So you see the sample of what needed to be built and now put on the temple to give its value as a subsistence, but also on a mental value. To add value, value addition to the temple that he built in Jerusalem. That you may understand the treasure of what the overcomers are when he says, I look at them, once I encounter them, and see them unshakable, standing
and imagine for yourself what the overcomers and their pillars will be in the temple of God in eternity of heaven. And he says, let's read the other version. Let's see, because here he says that Hiram was highly skilled and experienced in all bronze works, all kinds of bronze works, and he came to King Solomon and he did all the work assigned him perfectly, very powerfully. Let me read a bit from King James so you can see. He says, And King Solomon sent and fetched Hiram out of Tyrus. That's why I call him Hiram, because from King James they call him Hiram. In the NIV they call him Huram. That is the same name. He was a widow's son of the tribe of Naphtali. I've told you she was a Canadian woman that was married to the Natalian. So she was a son, a widow's son, of the tribe of Naphtali. And his father was a man of Chiris, a worker of brass, you know, brass bronze. And he was filled with wisdom and understanding and cunning and wrought all his work. So let me describe, they're describing, they say even though his father was a tyrant, was from Tyrus, but Hiram was filled with wisdom, number one, with understanding, number two, and was cunning, cunning. He was cunning to work all work of brass. He was cunning. And when you look at cunning in the definition of the Lord here, he's saying somebody that can make invention. He's relating it to an inventor, someone that is so anointed of the Lord in this work, in this area, that he can make inventions, he can generate things and invent things and produce new things. That is the context under which he's using cunning. And only the Spirit of the Lord could do this. And he came to King Solomon and he wrote all his work. He completed all the work. The pillars of the Lord, the pillars that God Almighty instructed to be constructed in the temple of God that Solomon built in Jerusalem. We are using that as an example to really extrapolate, to really bring out what the Lord means when he engages with overcomers and says, you are so awesome, I must build a pillar. I will build a pillar. When Jehovah, the Lord God himself says, I will build a pillar. It is not small. It is not small. And he goes on in the subsequent verses to describe the detail of the pillars. He says he built two bronze pillars, each 18 cubits high and 12 cubits round in line. Maybe sometimes he's talking about diameter and circumference. He also made two capitals to cast of cast bronze to set them on top of the pillars. And I told you that the capitals are the decorated tops of the pillars. Each capital was five cubits high, a network of intervening chains fastened, fashioned, and fastened, in other words, fashioned, the capitals, intervening chains, fashioned the capital on top of the pillars. 
seven on each capital. He made pomegranate. These are special fruits. There's a special tree. He made pomegranate in two rows and circling each network to decorate the capitals on top of the pillars. He did the same for each capital. He made pomegranate and then he used them now in those rows to decorate the pillar, the capital, the top of the pillar. That's what he's saying here. And he did the same for each of the capitals. The capitals on top of the pillars in the portico of the temple outside there were in the shape of lily, four cubits high, on the capitals of both pillars, above the bound, above, above the bound-shaped path to the network, where the 200 pomegranates, the 200 pomegranates, in rows, all around, he erected the pillars at the portico of the temple. The pillars to the south, he named Hakim. And the pillars, there were two pillars. The pillars to the south, he named Hakim. And the one to the north, he named Boaz. And then he says, and these names have a purpose. Hakim says, the Lord is hungry. Boaz talks about strength. Let's move on, beloved people. And the capital on top were in shape of lily. And so the work on the pillars was completed. Look at that verse. Look at all that verse 22. That is the skillful work that the Holy Spirit had endowed on Hiram to come and accomplish. You needed a specialist to now come and do this and fit it on the temple. And when this was done, you could count as the temple was done. And if you look at the exterior positioning of the pillar, then you understood. And in front of the pillar, in between the two pillars, then now you have the olive door. And of course, the golden lamp stand in front at the altar. So you can imagine what these two pillars stand for. You can already begin to think about that. The two pillars, and then you have the golden altar, the golden stand in front, in between the two pillars. You can imagine what those two pillars stand for the church now, 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 and what they stood them for Israel too. Because now between them is the altar and the lamp, the golden lamp. Very powerful, beloved people. And so, Naphtali, she got married to Naphtali, and then finally now, she got married to a man from Tyre, and then the son they gave back to, it's amazing because he's a mix between the Hebrew and the Tyrrhenian. So that means allowed him to be able to blend in, to come in there with the skill the Lord has put in him because of the great work he needs to do. And the Lord had to bring him from out to come and do a special duty, just do a special thing. He comes in with a very special instinct and knocks it down precision, psychical precision. He accomplished the hammers the work. He accomplishes it very perfectly, and the work is done. But you can imagine the blend between the Hebrew and the Tyrrhenian. That blend, that mix between the two, allowed him to understand the Hebrew worship, and hence the requirement 
and receive the anointing from the Lord to do this work, and then also to now come from outside strictly for work. For work, no familiarity. When it comes to the pillars, someone very skillful, anointed of the Lord in a special way has to do this. Nothing less. The mother from the tribe of Dan married to Naphtali, the northern kingdom of Israel. The husband died, married a Tyranian man, and they have a son, and they call him Hiram. King Solomon hears about how God has anointed him. And the Lord directs King Solomon to talk to the king of that kingdom and call for him. He sent, and God placed upon Hiram the skills to work on bronze and brass, which is him, and gold and iron. And he comes all the way. But we are reminded here that the skill that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, has placed on Hiram is exactly the same skill that he placed on Bezalel. So let us turn from 1 Kings chapter 7, 13 to 22. Let us now turn to Exodus 31, verses 3 to 6, that we may understand the skills required to build these pillars. And hence how special they are is heavily underscored. Hallelujah. Exodus 31, beloved people, the book of Exodus 31, verses 3 to verse 6, and it says, in fact, I could read verses 3, we can start verse 2, to verse 6, verse 1, we can start 1, let's read the whole thing. Exodus 31, verses 1 to verse 6, because the same skill that we gave Hiram is the skill he actually gave to Bezalel. And he says here, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Huz, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. And the skill, the ability, and the knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, in silver, in bronze, to cut and set stones, to work on wood, and to engage in all sorts of craftsmanship, craftsmanship, craftsmanship. And before we go further into that, very powerful. I want to go further there to verse 6. But first I want to come back. Let's just read 6 and finish then. Moreover, I have appointed Oholia, son of Ahisamak, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. I also have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded to you. Very powerful, beloved people. The same skill given here. But when you still go back, when you go back a little bit, this is very powerful. We are coming to it again more and more. But when you go back to 1 Kings again, chapter 7, again what we read 
in 1322. There is a greater detail I read down there. I read down there pomegranates and lilies and brass and capitals and interwovenness, the chains that were interweaving to decorate the top of the pillars. Why? If you see the way Bezalel was instructed to construct the sacred garment of the Lord, that Aaron, the high priest, was supposed to use on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, to enter with into the Holy of Holies. Then you will find the following. You find that he placed along the hem of the garment, after he had put all the stones, the 12 stones, the name it, the breastplate, and all these things. But along the hem of the garment, he had put, he was instructed by the Spirit of the Lord to put interchanging pomegranates, that fruit, and a bell. Pomegranate, a bell. Pomegranate, a bell. Pomegranate, a bell. Pomegranate, a bell. In that alternating sequence, so that there were bells and pomegranates. And then he draws very beautifully the fruit and its leaves. And when you look at the work Hiram did, Hiram also uses pomegranates and decorates with its leaves. And then eventually, of course, designs lilies. And of course, we know that the Lord is known as the lily, the lily of Israel, but we will come to that. But I'm saying the pomegranate that he uses, then he puts their leaves and their fruit in a certain alternating order on the capital of the pillars. And we know that they used pomegranates to symbolize the tree of life. They used pomegranates to symbolize, as a symbol, they picked on the plant and used it as a symbol with its leaves and fruit as the symbol of the tree of life. How awesome. This is what was happening here. There's a lady is working with pomegranate on this side, and then on this side you find that Hiram is busy with pomegranate and putting them on the pillar. Right. And one pillar is called Jakim, Hakim, the J becomes H, Hakim. And the other pillar is called Boaz. Hakim Boaz. The Lord establishes strength. Very powerful, beloved people. And now we see very clearly here that Bezalel is given a skill. So let's see what we have seen until now. That Bezalel and Hiram, Bezalel was filled with the Spirit of God. Same thing happened to Hiram. When it comes to building the pillars of the temple of the Lord, not anybody can build it. Only a skilled one can build it as a special mission. Because the pillars are the support. And the pillars stand out also. They are the ones that are going to give ornamental value. If you look at the Temple of Solomon, they were standing like this, supporting but in the front like this. In fact, they stood out with this golden tinge, the bronze color. They stood out when the sun lit on them, when the sun lit them up. They did shine that, that beautiful bronze, and they stood out. 
and they added value and they adorned and gave the temple beauty. They beautified the temple, ornamental value. They became the decor, decoration of the temple. So, Bezalel was filled with the Spirit of the Lord, and to divide cunning skills as a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the same thing with Hiram. So you turn to the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1, beloved people. Powerful sermon on the overcomers. Now you're beginning to understand who the Lord calls overcomers and why. This is absolutely awesome. The book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 17. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly life, who does not change like shifting shadows. So that is very powerful. He's describing to you where these gifts have come. We know that the Lord himself has pronounced himself on these gifts. He says, I have filled them with the Spirit of the Lord. But just to nail down the point, I've read for you from James chapter 117, where you see that every good gift and skill has actually come from our Father, and he calls him the Father of life. Why? Why does he call him the Father of life? In fact, the father of light, whose shadow does not shift. Number one, we know that he created all the suns above the earth, all the stars and the suns that provide light. So you can think for yourself how big Jehovah God himself is. If some of the suns are 600 billion times the size of our sun in our solar system, if he can create the sun in our solar system is about 1.9 million Earths that would fit into that mass. And there are other suns that are 600 billion times bigger than our sun. And he created them all. That's why he's calling him the father of the light. But he's also the father, not only of the exterior lights, the moons and the stars and the suns, but also the inner life that is within the life of the believer. So we see him here anointing a wise, it is a heart. That's the heart, that a wise heart. A wisened heart, the heart that has become wise. He anoints them and he gives them skills, all manner of cunning, skills, wisdom, craftsmanship by the Holy Spirit, exceptional power given to Hiram and Bezalel now for comparison. Exceptional wisdom given to Hiram to build what? To build the pillars. To build what? The pillars of God. The pillars in the temple of God, beloved people. Exceptional power. Exceptional wisdom. Exceptional knowledge. Exceptional intellect, exceptional artistic ability, 
willingness to be able to be an inventor, to invent things, and also to be able to generate things, new things, invent new things. Exceptional wisdom to be able to receive instruction and, and produce exact. Divine gifting from Jehovah, exceptional knowledge, exceptional understanding, exceptional dexterity of their hands. Exceptional skills. And all this must be harnessed to the praise of God. Exceptional wisdom to become an inventor and generate new things. Job chapter 38, verse 36. Job 38, 36, beloved people. Job 38, how awesome the pillars when he says, I will build a pillar. God now wants to build a pillar and look at what the Lord is going through. He chooses exceptional skills, exceptional power, exceptional intellect, exceptional abilities, exceptional giftings, exceptional knowledge, exceptional understanding, exceptional dexterity, exceptional processing, to be able to process things, to process bronze, process melt them, smelt them. Huh? How powerful, beloved people. Job 38, verse 36. And he says, Who endowed the heart with wisdom and gave understanding to the mind? That is Jehovah. Isaiah 28, 26. Isaiah 28, Verse 26, he says, Isaiah 28, 26, he says, His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Wisdom for generating things, for inventing things. This is what was required to build pillars. And this is what the Lord requires to build the pillars in heaven. When he meets the overcome, I say, ah, on this one now, I cannot use the regular builders. I need a special import of a special skill. Somebody has to come from out and come and now build this pillar. And has to have exceptional of everything. Exceptional power, exceptional wisdom, exceptional skills, exceptional everything plus dexterity of hands. And we know who that is. Coming now on a special mission, the Holy Spirit. But in this Solomon's temple, you can already see the catapulting, how he has already now trajected out. He has shot out the building of the pillars and the value and treasure of the overcomers before God. Hey. The book of Exodus 24, why is he doing this? Why does he want to raise them before him? Exodus 24, verse 4. Exodus chapter 24, verse 4. And they had to put the tree of life over there. Exodus 24, verse 4. What does it say? It says, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord said. You can imagine the skills of writing. Everything, the skills of writing the things of God. It is totally different from your regular writing abilities. The things
things of God are tremendous. So, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent the young Israelite men and the right to offer the offering of the Lord. Look at that. Otherwise, he now built 12 pillars and each pillar is representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, right before the Lord now, you have the 12 tribes of Israel represented by 12 pillars and essentially presenting the tribes of Israel before God. And that also represented their standing before the Lord. How the Lord considers them. They are pillars for him. For him, he looks at them as pillars. It speaks about what they are to Jehovah Yahweh. And the pillars are set up around the altar of the Lord where sacrifice, worship takes place. So Solomon's pillars, very beautiful. Hakim and Boaz, representing the cloud that was ahead of them, ahead of them in the wilderness, all the way. One of them represents that cloud, ahead of them all the way. And the other represents the fire of God that showed up in the night. Oh, 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 oh. The cloud that always guided them, navigated them, hovering in front of them, leading them through the wilderness, taking them to the place of worship. And the other pillar, the fire that was called down from heaven in the night, fire that came down from heaven. Because in the dream the Lord said, in the recent dream he said, they were doing so. They were doing the same thing before the Messiah came, both of them. Solomon's pillars to hold up the temple, to bolster the temple, to buttress the temple, to bear the temple, to prop up the temple, to reinforce the temple, to beautify the temple, to broadcast the temple, to publish the temple, to defend the temple, to give the temple a to differentiate from other gods and other houses of worship. Hey. To hold up the temple, to bolster the temple, to buttress the temple, to bear the temple's weight, to bear it, hold it, to prop up the temple, to reinforce the temple, to beautify the temple, to broadcast the temple to the world, that when the light shines on the bronze like gold, it glitters the glamour to publish the temple abroad, to defend the temple and to give the temple a standard, the standard of God, to tell all the other religions, tell all the other things, this one is like this. This one stands like this. This is the benchmark for this one. This is the standard for this one. This one is different. Hey. Then you can imagine for yourself what the overcomers will do in the temple of God Almighty in heaven. And by setting a standard in the temple of God,
repeat again. Let me repeat the whole, and then I'll focus on the standard they are in the temple of God, the overcomers. To hold up the temple, those pillars are to hold up the temple of God, to bolster the temple, to buttress the temple, strengthen it from down there, the footing, to bear the temple, to prop up the temple, to reinforce the temple, to beautify the temple, remember brass and bronze, beautiful, to broadcast the temple abroad, to publish the temple abroad to those who are far to see, to defend the temple because they were at the door, and to give the temple a standard. And under the standard, that is an example of worship in the temple, to set a benchmark of worship in the temple, to become an archetype for the worship in the temple, to become the grade, the gauge of worship in the temple, to set up the quality of worship in the temple, and to become the yardstick of worship in that temple. How awesome, beloved people. The overcomers. When he saw them, no wonder when he saw them, he said, this is too awesome, I will build the temple. I will build a pillar. I must build a pillar here. I must build a memorial with these ones here. These ones must be in the house forever, never to leave it again. And Moses, in Exodus 24, verse 4, he raised up some 12 stone pillars before the Lord and sacrifices there, and the cloud of God comes there. Meaning, presenting them before the Lord. And now you see, he says, for the overcomers, when the storms of the apostasy rage on, and they remain standing, unshakable, he says, these ones are too awesome. They are so awesome, I must build a pillar. And when they enter into the house as pillars, now they remain in the presence of God eternally. Which represents what they are to God. They are standing before God and what they represent to God. What they represent before Him. Hey. What they are to God, Yahweh. And they are next near, they are all around the altar. So you can imagine the worship is taking place there. They are represented there. Those, the tribes of Israel were represented, meaning these overcomers are now also represented in the process, in the presence of God himself. How awesome to fight and struggle and strive by the help of the Holy Spirit to become an overcomer in the house of the Lord. And he promises them those bounties, those wonderful tokens of reward I began with. He comes out in this life and gives them their rewards right away. He says, when you come, I'll give you this one here. It's no secret. So God's pillars. What lessons from Solomon's temple? Number one, there are two pillars of brass. And they're beautiful. They shine out that color and distinguish from the rest of the material of the temple. Number two, they represent a covenant with Jehovah. And everlasting eternal covenant with Jehovah. Number three, one represents the cloud of God that went ahead of them in the day. And the second represents the fire that lit up in the night to give them light and to protect them from their enemies. And all the animals ran away when they saw the fire. The Egyptians ran away when they saw the fire. One pillar represents 
The fire that came down from heaven in the night and kept away the enemies of Israel. The animals ran away. And the lamp stand in the temple represents the Lord of all the earth. The pillars became the beautification of the temple, the bronze, the decoration. Pomegranate representing the tree of life of faith. This is a serious thing, beloved people, when the Lord says, for them I will build a pillar. I will build a pillar. I have to. How about the significance of all this now to you? As we summarize this, what is the significance to you? In other words, you hear the Lord calling all people, all Christians of this generation, God is calling them to become faithful pillars in the house of the Lord. He's calling all Christians to stand firm, unshakable, dedicated, committed, unwavering, unfolding, unfaltering, to become steadfast within the raging storm. That you may become overcomers, and then you may become the faithful pillars in the house of Jehovah in heaven. That is the message to the church that is listening to me now. That all of you are being called on to become those beautiful pillars that will require the skillful one to come out on a special mission with special dexterity, with exceptional power, exceptional cunning, exceptional inventor, exceptional in skillfulization, the artmanship, the artmanship, the skillfulness, the craftsmanship, all these now exceptional in the house. He is calling you to become an exceptional Christian that you may be able to become an exceptional pillar in the temple of your God in heaven for eternity into the eternity of the eternity. That you may serve to support the house of the Lord. That you may be the source of the strength of the house of the Lord in heaven. That you may be its backbone. That you may be its bread to profit up. And for you to become a pillar as a Christian, what you need to do? Then you need the following. This is now the message to the church. Those who want to become overcomers. Second Timothy, beloved people, chapter 2. For you to become that pillar, what do you need to be? Second Timothy, chapter 2. Again, the book of Second Timothy Beloved people, chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Second Timothy 2, 19-22, says the following. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, filled with the inscription, the faith of God. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness, from sin. Other versions say from sin. Must be part from iniquity, according to King James. And he says, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, and some for ignoble purposes. If a man cleanses himself from 
Elasa from sin, he will be an instrument for noble purpose, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work, including the pillars in the house, the temple of the Lord in heaven for eternity. Good works here and there. So what is he saying there, people? How do you become that pillar as a Christian? Number one, he says, Timothy chapter 2, 19 to 22, meaning you must be built upon the solid foundation of the rock. That's what he says here. The solid foundation of the rock. So those pillars you see standing, when the storm rages, the storm of apostasy, the storm, first of all, let's begin with the physical pillars. Let's say a tsunami, a hurricane, an earthquake passes through an area. And then you see that all the buildings are flattened down. Then you'll always see one or two buildings probably ravaged, and then you see the, col the columns, the pillars standing. You see their pillars standing. If the storm was so bad, you see their pillars still faithfully standing. They are erect. They are standing vertical. They have not gone horizontal. Those pillars standing, they speak a lot about the quality of the pillar itself. That is the testing of the pillar, the storm. It is the storm that tests the pillar, the saltworthiness of the pillar, the seasoning of that pillar. And when you see that after a huge earthquake or a tsunami or a hurricane, the buildings are down, but the pillars remain standing in the four corners or wherever, then it speaks so much about during the building of that column, the building engineer dug deep and reached the rock, the foundation stone at the foundation of the earth. He reached the rock that makes up the foundation of the earth, then he launched the foundation of that pillar from down there. So my question to you as a Christian is this. Have you launched your Christian salvation upon the foundation, the rock that is the foundation of the earth, whose name is Christ Jesus, the rock of all ages? And you can almost tell that a majority of churches, the answer is no. Because of the way they are faltering, they are wavering, they are non-committed, they are not faithful. You can just say they are not launched on the rock. It's obvious. You don't need an answer. So, the solid foundation of the pillars. And number one, I said, Second Timothy chapter 2. The solid foundation of the rock. The solid foundation of the rock, number one, Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Number two, the book of Psalms, 118, verse 22. Psalms 118, 22 that every pillar that will stand for God the Father to come and find it standing and decide that this one is too awesome, I will build a pillar in my temple in heaven. Every single pillar that stands, every overcomer that stands, is indeed launched on the rock, 
the rock that is the foundation of the earth. Psalm 118, beloved people, verse 22. Psalm 118, 22. He says, Psalm 118, 22. He says, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. So you know what foundation the pillars need to be launched for them to withstand the raging immorality on the earth that has brought down the pulpits of the earth, the moral decay, the deception, the false prophets, false apostles, that you may not be swayed to them, you may not be seduced to them, that you may stand. You have to be launched as an overcomer on the solid foundation that is the rock, that is Christ Jesus our Lord. Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 28. Those who build on the sand were swept away by the storm of apostasy. Those that built the foundation of their salvation, their house of worship, their salvation, on the rock, the storm came. They were not swayed at all. They were not pushed. Everything went down, but they remained standing. And when the Father saw them, then he said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, This is too awesome. These overcomers, they are too awesome. I must build a pillar. I must build a pillar in the house of worship of God in heaven, the temple of God in heaven for eternity to eternity of the eternity forever. Where forever means forever. And Genesis 49, verse 24. Genesis 49, 24. The solid foundation you need so that you can become an overcomer, so that you can become pillar-worthy, a pillar-worthy Christian. But when the Lord sees, he says, this one is too awesome, I have to build a pillar. I must. Genesis 49, 24. But his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Israel, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. Whatever comes through, you remain steady. The book of Psalms 78, verse 35. That means for you to be an overcomer and that pillar, you have to reprioritize now. Psalms 78, 35, in finishing, 78, 35, and he says, they remember that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. How powerful. And now, because of that, once you are launched on the rock, then Matthew chapter 633 happens. Matthew chapter 633 happens to them. Matthew chapter 6, 
Mark 33, the number of people. And he says, 32, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. So the reason they remain standing when the storms of apostasy are raging, when the storms of immorality and falsehood, false preachers, false gospel, modern gospel, modernism, modern Christianity, lukewarm Christianity, deception, lies, false prophets, false apostles, immorality, heavy storms raging, the reason they remain standing is because once they are launched on the rock that is the foundation of the earth, the rock that is Jesus, then now their prioritization has changed. Their priority is totally reconfigured. They seek first, you see, they seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when the Lord looks at them at the end, as the storms are raging, he says, these ones are too awesome, I will build a pillar. I must build a memorial pillar for memory, for a memorial, for a covenant, for a witness, for a lasting witness, a lasting covenant, for ornamental value in my house. And you see, Matthew 6, 19, 20, 19, 24 applies. Second Peter 3, 18. All these apply, beloved people. They support. They support stone. And they support one another. So when you see them in the church, then you understand what Matthew 25, 1 to 13 stands for. When you see the pillars in the church, they are busy supporting other members of the church to make them have the light, have the oil. Make sure you receive Jesus. You receive the Holy Spirit also. They are support. They are the pillars in the house. So shall they be pillars in heaven too. They are the light in the house. They are the ones building it to full stature. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 9 to 16. To full stature, to the height of Christ. So, in the same context, he says, And I'll write on them the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from my God, and I'll write on him my new name. So what does it mean that these pillars now bear the name of God? Number one, when they're on the earth here, which means to bear God's name, you must bear his identity. You must bear his eternity. You must bear his honor. You must bear his glory. You must bear his majesty. You must bear his authority. You must bear his character. You must bear the heritage of God, the identity of God, the heritage of God. You must bear God's identity. You must bear God's eternity. You must bear God's honor. You must bear God's heritage. You must bear God's character. You must bear God's authority. You must bear God's majesty. You must bear God's glory, God's honor. These are the things that characterize the people that become overcomers. Thank you very much, beloved people. I know that the Lord will bring me back to you whenever the Spirit of the Lord allows the truth to minister again. And yesterday they had such a tremendous conversation. It's a non-stop conversation about eternity. And one goes to heaven, comes, talks to the earth, and so forth. 
sometimes both. This is what it means to be an overcomer, beloved people. Those who want to receive the Lord say, Precious Jesus, I repent today. I repent that I have not been an overcomer. I repent that in the process of living on this earth as a Christian, instead the world has overcome me. But now, Lord Jesus, I cry unto you, please now make me an overcomer of the world, that I may subdue the world, that I may subjugate the world, that I may conquer the world. I receive you once more in my heart. I receive you right now in my heart as my Lord and Savior. And I ask you to establish my salvation as a pillar, an unshakable pillar that will catch the attention of God the Father, that no matter the storms of this life and this world, I may remain standing and inherit the eternal kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and all the wonderful rewards that God has promised the overcomers, and all the wonderful tokens and rewards that you have promised those that will overcome. Let me resolve and have a total resolve against this world that nothing left or right, forward or back, will ever waver me and dissuade me from this mission. That I'll walk the course. In the mighty name of Jesus, I ask you to anoint me with the Holy Spirit. In the mighty name of Jesus, I am born again. Amen. Thank you. The Lord bless you, beloved people. I have seen the Messiah coming. I've also seen the glory of the Lord coming. May the Lord bless you. Sudah. Sudah, Rabah. Bokir, Sudah.